Please give your attention to God's word. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up in his arms the babe and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed A sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. Friends, this passage begins and it ends with revelation. This idea of revelation coming to a man named Simeon. In verse 26 and verse 32, you see revelation. And spirit is mentioned three times in verse 25, 26, and 27. The spirit of Christmas, if you will, is bringing revelation to an old man. Does that remind you of anything? The Holy Ghost of Christmas is bringing to remembrance something to an old man. What does it remind you of? Hmm, yes, Scrooge. Charles Dickens. The Christmas Carol. Not the original, of course, because the originals are here, but the 1843 version, Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol. You all know the story. It's about this miser named Scrooge who has a... a, a clerk named Bob Cratchit who only pays like 15 shillings and makes him, he takes off on Christmas at Scrooge's frustrated allowance. Scrooge feels like he's getting ripped off whenever his employees take Christmas Day off. And Bob Cratchit has a son, Tiny Tim, who's crippled and who's going to die. And Bob is just trying to take care of his son. And Scrooge doesn't care about Tiny Tim. Scrooge is a man who is just worshiping money. You know the story, right? This is what Dickens writes of Scrooge. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his nose, shriveled his cheeks, and stiffened his gait and made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and he spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. O Ebenezer Scrooge, 
The story of Ebenezer Scrooge by Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol is one of the great stories of English literature. We all know the story. It is about the transformation of a man. And whether you're new to Christianity or you've been steeped in it since you were a child, there is something in us, regardless of what you believe, that says yes when you hear stories like A Christmas Carol about the radical transformation of a person from being a miser frugal to a fault to being somebody who becomes generous and beautiful and lovely. People are shocked at his transformation. So here's the question. What is the true Christmas spirit that brings about such change in your life and in mine? And how do we receive it? What is the true Christmas spirit? How do we receive it? We're going to also look together with an old, old man named Simeon. We don't actually know how old he is, but we assume he's old. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. And we're going to let Simeon teach us about revelation and about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life so that we might be changed. Because you know what? Scrooge has nothing on me. Or on you. Our hearts are deep and dark, and we are sinful to the core, and we are being remade, Scrooge as we all are, into something beautiful. And as amazing as Scrooge's transformation is, so much more amazing and incredible is the transformation of a Christian. And you especially see that as it comes out in this text. First, the spirit of Christmas. Number one, what does it give to us? It reveals something to us. Number one, it reveals our need for a Savior. Look at verse 22. If you don't have Bibles, you're having trouble finding them on your phone, go pick a Bible up in the corner of the gym. Bring it open. Look at God's Word. Verse 22. It says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifices according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or of young pigeons. Now, all Jewish mothers, after they gave birth, they were unclean for seven days. And for 33 days, young mothers who had just given birth couldn't even enter into the temple. According to Leviticus 12, they were not allowed near the temple. And first-time moms says that for every male who first opens the womb, that is, the mothers who have given birth for the first time, which, of course, this would be true of Mary. It was required that they bring a lamb and a turtle dove with them to offer purification for their sins at the temple. But if a young mother couldn't afford a lamb, then she could bring along a second turtle dove, a second pigeon. And here it says in your text, doesn't it? You can see it. It says they brought along two what? two pigeons, two turtle doves. Why? Because Mary and Joseph were so poor that they had to play the exclusion clause. And they brought a second pigeon with them because they couldn't afford even a little lamb. And since Joseph was with her, he too was unclean. And so here they come. It was a merciful law. They're able to afford the right sacrifices. They can be reconciled. They can enter into the temple. And it reminded Jews this this practical outworking of the sacrificial system reminded Jews of their need, of their need for a sacrifice that was to come. It reminded Jews every time they came in the temple that God is a holy God. And that temple, that temple had different areas that you could enter into only by your status. 
And so the high priest, once a year at Yom Kippur, would enter into the Holy of Holies. Do you remember this? Do you remember the way the temple was laid out? And then the Levites would be in the courtyard near the altar, and they would be offering sacrifices. And then outside of that, there would be the court of women. And outside the court of women would be the court of Gentiles, women who were Jewish, the court, the, the court of Gentiles for the Gentiles who didn't believe in the one true God. They could be in the outer court. And then you had the gate. And at the gate, there would be beggars begging to get into the temple, begging for alms, begging for mercy for those who came in. And here, probably in the court of women, come this young couple with their child to fulfill the law. They bring Jesus in for purification. Mary is going to go through purification as a woman who had just given birth. And they see this old, old gentleman, Simeon. Can you imagine the scene? Anna, if you keep reading, is also with him. But here's this old, old man, and he sees the baby. And I just imagine him making like a, like a beeline through the crowd, and, and Simeon probably is also in the court of the women. He's a man, but he could be in the court of the women. And he sees this child walk in, and he walks up, and he, he says, do you mind if I hold your child? And Mary, maybe a little freaked out, lets him hold the child, and he takes it in his arms, and he says, Lord, now I can depart in peace. For my eyes have seen the salvation of Israel. Listen, Christmas for many of us is full of excitement because of the gifts we get to give and the excitement of having new things. And for some of us, it can be very anxiety-riddled. But somewhere in the midst of the busyness in the courtyards of our life, the challenge for us at Christmas is to see the Christ child being carried and walking through that court and for us to be able to make a beeline to him through the presence, through the gifts, through all the distractions of cooking this afternoon and tomorrow to hold the baby. And even if just for a minute, friends, would you hold that child in your arms and would you take in the incarnation and would you look your Savior in the eyes and say, now I can also depart in peace because of our radical need for a Savior. Revelation came to Simeon in a very direct and a very personal way. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit intermittently filled God's people. And Simeon seems to have the residing of the Holy Spirit in a very special way. It seems as though in Greek it it applies that he had the continual presence of the Holy Spirit. He was a forerunner, perhaps, in that regard. And at Pentecost, of course, in Acts 2, we all, those who believe in Christ, get the presence of the Holy Spirit continually. And here Simeon is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, being revealed to us, revealed to him, this amazing good news about Christ. We, too, have the same revelation given to us today. Except ours is not by direct revelation. Ours is always through his word. That is the direct revelation. And what we read in the Bible is always confirmed together in community that this is the proper interpretation of Scripture. For friends, you can make the Bible say anything you want to if you desired. People have justified mass genocide using Scripture. People have justified all kinds of incorrect views of salvation by works righteousness using Scripture. But no, we come to Revelation by looking at God's Word. And as we together interpret that Scripture through the community of faith, 
we are able to receive the same powerful revelation that Simeon himself also received. Question, do we read it? And if we read it frequently, do we read it? I mean, and if we haven't read it in a year, would you read it? And those of us perhaps who read it because we feel like we've got to catch up on our Bible study plan for the year, we're behind on our Bible reading program for the year, we just rush through it. Have you read it? Like, I know you've seen the words, but have you let the Bible read you? Simeon allowed the Holy Spirit to show him the beauty of your Savior. And it is the same pathway that Scripture allows us to see the beauty of the gospel in what Christ has done for us. Amen? The beauty of God's Word is that it shows us with perfect clarity our need for a Savior, just like it did with Simeon. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The Holy Spirit reveals to us our need for Jesus. He is the Savior that we need. But please, please do not, do not let these words just pass through your ears. Familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes we hear the gospel. We've heard it 50 times already this morning. You hear it, and it hasn't quite landed on you. When Jesus left the region of the Gerasenes in Mark chapter 6, and he left and he went back to Nazareth, his hometown, do you remember how they reacted to him? Jesus walked into his hometown. He put, they were all familiar with Jesus. And they said, who, who is this guy? And they marveled at what he said. Who is it that he might do these mighty deeds? Is this not Mary and Joseph, the carpenter's son? How can this possibly be? And the text says in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And the familiarity of Christ as a young boy growing up in that town bred not faith, but actually bred contempt and doubt for him. Do you know that you need a Savior? Unbelief does not hinder God's strength one bit. But our Lord does refuse to throw pearls to swine. And we come to Christmas again and it's an opportunity for us to recalculate what it is that we really trust in. Do you know your need for a Savior? Point number one. Point number two, the spirit of Christmas, as it were, the Holy Spirit, the true spirit of Christmas. Does it just reveal our need for a Savior, but it gives us peace for life and for death? Look in verses 29 and 30 at what Simeon said. Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Do you see it there? Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The prophets long to see Christ. They long to see him. They long for the day when they could take him in and they could understand him. And Peter alludes to this in 1 Peter when he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours 
the prophets searched and they looked carefully, inquiring what person the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating the time when he would come. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels even longed to look. The prophets throughout the whole of the Old Testament, kiddos, preached the good news of the gospel. Kiddos, they preached that you are saved by faith, just like we're saved today. And that they're saved because of the content of the promises that had been revealed to them at that point in time. But Israel said, I'm not going to worship Jesus. I'm not going to worship the promised Messiah. I'm going to worship money. And I'm going to worship my performance. And I'm going to worship my pedigree. And I'm going to worship my possessions. And so Jeremiah writes to them, and he says, Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, earth, for my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water, and they have hewn for themselves broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. There are those of us who grow up hearing the good news of the gospel, and it becomes for us something like advice that we receive. And like Scrooge, we rely on our pedigree or our possessions, or we rely on our uh, location in on earth, we rely on something to knit us in to the good news. And Simeon teaches us over here that it is not about being doing anything. It is about trusting in the finished work of Christ who is our Savior. The peace that the Lord gives to you is a peace that is unlike anything else. Do you remember the story? Did you hear the story about the family who was in California in the middle of the Tubbs fire? Have you heard about this story? Their names were Joe and Jan Pesco. They lived in Santa Rosa, California. And they were in their house, and they went to bed. They saw fire on the horizon. It was 11 miles away. The wind was blowing the other direction. They went to bed, and they woke up at 3 a.m. because their daughter called them and said, Mom, Dad, the fire is coming your way. You need to get up and get out of the way. Get out of there now. And so Joe and Jan go and throw stuff into their car, and he gets all the priceless heirlooms that he has, and they look up at the sky, and the fire had come so close to them that there's no way they can escape. And so Joe and Jan, this couple, in their late 60s, early 70s, they look at each other and say, we cannot get out. We do not know where to go. In 2017, with all the modern technology we have, We cannot get out. And so they, Joe, didn't know what to do. And so he grabs his bride and they start to run. And they realize as they're running down the street, trying to find a break, trying to find something that they could run through the woods and get away from this fire, he realizes that a neighbor of his has a pool. And so Joe and Jan Pesco go into his neighbor's pool. And they wrap their shirt around their mouth and they get in that pool. And they for six hours, bob up and down in that pool, breathing with debris and embers and fire crashing in around that pool. 
Nothing is left of the house above them on the ridge. The pool is 30 yards away from the house. They bob up and down in this pool as the fire completely takes their neighbor's houses, their house, their car, everything. And for six hours, they go up and down in this toxic, infested water with T-shirts around their mouth and hardly any clothes on their body. And after these six hours, Joe gets out of that pool. He makes a loincloth for himself, and he grabs his wife's hand, and they walk ashen, almost inhuman, and they walk down the street at this charred neighborhood with no houses left, and they find a sheriff's deputy, and the sheriff's deputy said, I thought it was World War Z and zombies were coming toward me. When they were in San Francisco a couple of weeks later and they were safe with their daughter in their house, people would walk up to them in restaurants and say, hey, I heard about you on the news. You're the, you're the pool people, aren't you? And Jan and Joe would just hug people and say, we're the pool people. And they are so glad to just be alive. You know what? Dipped in a pool, saved by grace from a fire, That's the picture of the gospel. And at Christmas, it is a reminder for us that we go and we jump in a pool, not of water, but a pool of blood. And as the embers and the fires of sin encroach around us, we are saved only because we bob up and down in the blood of Christ. That is our only possible means of salvation. And though this is a true story, and though the metaphor is drawn out for us to think about the nature of our own faith, it is so true The only thing that can save you from the fires of hell or sin or death is the fact that you get yourself not into your Toyota Tacoma. You get yourself into the pool of Christ's righteousness. And you bob up and down as long as you have to because you are carried on the wings of uh, of grace. Are you pool people? Yes. You are the pool people of Jesus. Saved by the blood of the Lamb. What's the song that we sometimes sing You heard it growing up. There's a fountain filled with blood that flowed from Emmanuel, God with us, from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Cleared of our transgressions, covered in Jesus' righteousness. That's the good news of Christmas. The spirit of Christmas reveals to us our need for a Savior. It gives us peace for life and for death. You are no fool, as Jim Elliot once said, to give what you cannot keep, to gain what you can never lose. And unlike Scrooge, who works for his salvation, who hoards possessions, just like you and I have a tendency to do, who is miserly, whose God of money has drained him of all compassion so that he is unable even to give a shilling to his employee's son who is dying. Or you can choose the way of peace, dipped in the pool of Christ's righteousness, saved by Christ and Christ alone. Thirdly, the Spirit of Christmas offers you, not only does it reveal to you your need for a Savior, not only does it give you peace for life and for death, but it offers us hope for the world. Look at verses 31 and 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles 
and for glory to your people Israel. The fact that the gospel would go outside of Israel was anathema to Jews, but here it is revealed that the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. You will be a light for the Gentiles, for the dirty Gentiles, and it will be glory for your people Israel. We read about this all the way through the Old Testament. Isaiah says, For behold, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth, and they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for shall the offspring be blessed to the Lord. And the wolf and the lamb shall lay down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall dis- and dust shall be the serpent's food, and they shall not hurt or destroy any in my holy mountain. Simeon saw that fulfillment. He saw the fulfillment not only of his people Israel, but of all the Gentiles, all those who placed their faith in him. And not only did he see it of all the Gentiles, but he saw it of all creation. All creation is going to be redeemed because of the birth of that child, that baby. Romans chapter 8 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. At the very end of the Bible, John sees the new heavens and a new earth coming down, a light for the Gentiles, for all people, a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. That's what we are waiting for. Today, friends, we are waiting for the completion of our salvation. What Simeon waited for in part, he saw in the birth of Christ. We get to see even more of it in being able to witness the truth of his death and of his glorious resurrection and of the day when he comes to complete his saving program when he renews all of heaven and all of earth. It is not by performance, possessions, pedigree, personality, but it is only by his presence that we have peace. That's what Simeon teaches us in this fourth and last Christmas carol. And like the great Christmas carol of chapter 1, Mary's song, the mighty will be brought down and the lowly will be raised up. Simeon says to Mary, This child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Commentators differ on whether that's talking about the fall of a person and the rising of them in faith, or it's talking about two different people, one falling and failing to believe and one rising because they do believe. Either way, we have all been humbled by the beauty of the gospel and all been raised up. If you are a son and daughter of the king, is that true of you? The falling and the rising of many, the way up, is always down for us at Christmas. The way up is always down in humble service, just like Christ the King, so that we might see transformation in our life, just like Dickens writes of Scrooge at the very end of his book. Some people laughed at Scrooge to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and he laughed a little himself. For he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite well that they should wrinkle up their nose in grins as 
have the malady in less attractive forms. But Scrooge's own heart laughed at a deep laugh, a laugh of peace that was quiet enough for him. It was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. Friends, you have the knowledge. The good news of your Savior who has come to you this Christmas. The way of the world's salvation, the way of Scrooge. Performance, pedigree, possessions. The way of the cross. It makes no sense to the modern mind. It is the way of Jesus. His work for us making us the pool people after all. And when you begin to see your need for a Savior and you, when you begin to understand that you have a peace that is offered to you for life and for death and you have the hope of the world, those are the greatest gifts that could possibly have been given to you. Do not let familiarity breed contempt. Enjoy those good gifts to you this Christmas and you will have indeed a very Merry Christmas. Amen? Let's pray together.